Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. But in a great house, somebody say great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Verse 21 says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I want to preach or teach this evening on this Wednesday night from this subject, a great house, a great house. You're going to help me tonight. You may be seated. This portion of Scripture has always, always been in, intriguing to me when you, when you consider what Timothy is writing to us and giving us uh, a word picture of what a, a great house looks like. A great house, according to Scripture, is not only pictured with vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth. But a great house, everybody say, a great house, also has vessels of honor and dishonor. Now that doesn't make sense to me when you look at, when you think about a great house. You would think a great house were just vessels of gold and silver and vessels of honor. But according to Scripture, I believe it's a type and a picture of the church, that inside the church, inside the the building inside of what, who, who and what we are. I believe a great house is a picture. There are going to be vessels of gold and silver. There will be vessels of wood and of earth. There will be vessels of honor and dishonor. But if you are going to be used by God, there is something that is only within your power. It's only within your grasp to do, and that is to purge yourselves, to make yourself a vessel of honor, and that's a choice that you have to make, a choice that is made that will determine, will I be used by the master? Am I preparing myself for the use of every good work? It's solely up to you. It's not anyone else's responsibility. It's not anyone else's, you know, obligation. This living for God is a personal relationship. If you believe that, say amen. When I began to study this, this passage of Scripture, and I began to, to look at the details of it, it convicted me. It, it caused me to, to, to pray and it caused me to study when I looked at the magnitude of a great house. I don't want to just come to church and be satisfied just being in the house. I don't want to be in a great house 
and be satisfied with that and not be used by the master as he sees fit. But for me to be used by the master, I must do what I read that the Olympians do when they prepare themselves for the Olympics. There's nothing more grander than the opening ceremony of an Olympic game. Each of the contestants will carry their colorful flag of the world they represent, the country they represent. They hold that flag high in pride and they earn that spot of honor and it is carried as a spectacular sight to behold as they cross a, a stage or cross a platform. And when those contestants carrying their flag that they represent, it's like making a kaleidoscope of the races and creeds and cultures of which they represent. These athletes and coaches work for years in order to march in the parade of nations. They have paid for this. They, they paid for this once in a lifetime opportunity with blood, sweat, tears, and determination to be the best that they can be in their chosen sport. But before they enter the stadium, before they ever hear the deafening cheers of an Olympic-sized crowd, they are asked to repeat a saying, I have prepared, I have followed the rules, and I will not quit. As I pondered this short yet powerful statement, I thought of it, how it applies to our walk with God and how it applies to this great house. Few of us will ever grace the Olympic platform to collect a medal, but all of us will one day grace the platform of eternity. And on that day, the kaleidoscope of skin colors from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue will parade into the new Jerusalem to collect a crown that moth and rust doth not corrupt. But before we enter the grand parade of saints, we, like the Olympians, must have committed ourselves to the same oath I have prepared, I have followed the rules, and I will not quit. Anything less than this, as our battle cry will exclude us from that great day. And I don't know about you, I don't want to miss that day. So I've come tonight on this Wednesday night for you and I to reach for a higher standard of Christian living. Most are satisfied to just watch the athletes do what they do best. But for those of us who have entered into the arena of living for God, we're not just mere spectators, but we are participators. Do I have any participators in this room tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Failure to participate in this endeavor we call a walk with the Lord is to simply reject Christ and just minimize him to just another figure in history, but to prepare, to follow, and not quit will require more of each of us than just mere observation or just a few careful thoughts, but it will require our 
life. Somebody say, my life. So I'm going to break down these three points tonight. And I believe when we leave, something's going to happen in the spirit. Something's going to click in the spirit. Number one, you're going to value this great house. But then you're going to have to give a fresh evaluation of your own selves. Everybody say, I have prepared. Study to show thyself, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Several years ago, a Japanese emperor commissioned an artist to paint a bird. A number of months passed, then several years, and still no painting was brought back to the palace. Finally, the emperor so exasperated that he went to the artist's home to demand an explanation. Instead of making excuses, the artist placed a blank canvas on the easel, and in less than an hour, he completed a painting that was to become a brilliant masterpiece. When the emperor asked the reason for the delay, the artist showed him armloads of drawings, of feathers, of wings, of heads, and of feet. Then he explained that all of his research and study had been necessary before he could complete the painting. So it provokes a daring question for us tonight. What are you preparing for? Are you getting ready for retirement? Are you getting prepared for a career? Maybe you're getting ready to have a baby. Maybe you're preparing yourself for a major purpose. We all take time to prepare, or at least we should be for these events in life. But what are we doing to prepare ourselves to be used in the kingdom of God? I like the way one man put it. If you wait until opportunity comes, it's too late. Opportunity does not come to those who wait for it. Opportunity comes to those who prepare for it. If you and I are just acting as a spectator in our walk with God, then opportunities for service and blessing will never come your way. However, if you choose to become a participant in growing your relationship with God, then you will have no trouble finding opportunity for it will come to you. So if you tonight sit on a Wednesday night and you want to be a participator and not a spectator, there are a few things that you and I are going to have to do. And just let me give you some from Scripture. If you're going to be used by God you've got to strip away the unnecessary I said you got to get rid of the unnecessary uh, Hebrews 12 and 1 said wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us uh, and let us run with patience the race that is set before you. It should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway. The first move we make 
when we're becoming a participator. It's to repent and lay aside those things that are not necessary. There's just some things. We heard it, Brother Jeff, on Sunday. There's just some places we don't go. There's just some things we don't do because I'm serious about my relationship and place in this great house. This means that we have to all take a close look at our lives and decide what is important and what is not. The scripture tells us if we judge ourselves, we will have no need of others to do it for us. The problem is we, we very rarely judge ourselves. We never look at the man or the woman in the mirror. I'm not talking about putting yourself down. I'm speaking and taking an honest evaluation of who you are. And what you do, and then let the light of God's word shine on it. And whatever runs from the light has to be put away. Paul said to the church at Corinth, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I like what the, new, the, the NIV said, I have the right to do anything you say. But everything is not beneficial. Everything is just not beneficial for who I want to be in the kingdom of God. There's just some things we don't do. There's just some things I have to strip away or purge myself from. You can sit in and be in this great house. But to be used by God, you've got to purge yourself from some things. You've got, to lace, you've got to strip away the unnecessary, and then God can begin to use you. Number two, overcome hindrances. We're talking about being used by God. We're talking about preparing yourselves. Galatians 5 and 7 gives us such a strong admonition. You did run well. But here's what got me today in study. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Whenever we make a commitment to grow in God, to put, make a commitment to grow and mature in the things of God, there will always be someone that will try to detour your decision. Paul said, who did hinder you? Who? He didn't say what did hinder you. Who hindered you? Most often the greatest test you will have in preparing yourself for the work of the Lord is not what, but who. In order to overcome hindrances, you have to recognize that the hindrance, you have to recognize the hindrance, then move it aside. Otherwise, you'll never get past it. You'll never get past it. But thirdly, when we're talking about preparing ourselves, We've got to focus on the end result. 2 Timothy 4 and 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not me only. But unto them. To, unto all them. Also that love his appearing. This one scripture today leaped off. of It just consumed me. As I begin to think that none of us will ever succeed if we don't know why we're running. I came to this conclusion. I don't serve God to stay out of hell. I don't serve God to go to heaven. 
I serve God because I love Him. Think about that. I don't serve God to stay out of hell, and I don't serve God because I get to go to heaven. No, I serve God because I love Him. Some of us think that heaven is the goal, but it's not the goal. Love is the goal. I love Him, therefore I discipline my life. I love Him because He first loved me. I love Him and I minister to others. Because I love him, I keep running this race. I don't get distracted by what's going on around me. I don't look to the left. I don't look to the right. I'm not looking for the faults and failures in others. I've just got to remember, in a great house, there's vessels of honor and there's vessels of dishonor. But I can't get distracted by that. I've got a goal in my I love him too much to get distracted in the midst of all that's going on. I've just got to keep running. I've got to keep doing the will of God. It's the nature of a great house. It's the nature of a great house. If I could ever convince this church how powerful love is. If I could ever get us in the, in, in the operation of the gift of love and flow in that, you would have no problem disciplining yourself. When temptation comes, I love him too much to give in to that. I love him too much to backslide. I love him too much. It's a love relationship. It's a love relationship that causes us to discipline ourselves. I'm running. But Jeff, I'm running not to get to heaven. Brother Sparks, I'm not running to get to heaven. I'm running so that when I get to the finish line, I will recognize the one for whom I've run. I just want to recognize the one to whom I've run. I don't want to get there and he and I are strangers. There's no relationship. Oh, I followed the rules, and I'm going to talk about that. I showed up for church on Sunday, check. I got perfect attendance, check. I gave my tithe and offerings, check. But I had no relationship with him. I didn't do it out of love. I did it out, out of obligation. But when you flip the switch and you understand you've been placed in a great house, You've been born again of water and spirit and are in a great house. You will choose to prepare yourself to be used in the master's hand. The second thing those Olympians would say, I follow the rules. Second Timothy writes in 2 and 5, And if a man shall also strive for masteries and yet is not crowned, except... He strive lawfully. When I speak here of the following of the rules, I'm not talking in a pharisaical way, but in the sense of discipline. Not a list of do's and don'ts, but a desire to excel beyond just normal Christianity. I just don't want to live this life and just barely get by. I've had people ask me, why don't you just write down a list of what is right and what is wrong and I'll follow it. But what if I forget something? People who want this kind of relationship with God are not seeking to be successful. They are seeking to just do what it takes to get to heaven. 
But remember, heaven is not the goal. Love is the goal. I can't produce love from a list. I can't produce love from a list. I can only produce love from a relationship. My God, I feel the... If we can get our mind off of a list for just a few moments and ask yourself, am I in love with Jesus? Am I in love with him? Not a list of do's and don'ts. Yes, there's a list, of, but I'm not in love with the list. I'm in love with the master whom I discipline myself, who I die daily to, who I say yes to. When I, when I cross the line into a love relationship, you think that list of do's and don'ts is a burden that I can't carry? You think it's a burden that's a shame for me? No, no, no. I do what I do because I love him. I act the way I act because I love him. I'm a moral individual because I love him. It's not because I, I, I'm fearful of what he's going to do or fearful of what. I love him. Therefore, I love him. And do what his word says. In order to build my relationship and my love for Christ, there are things that I do. And I know I'm saying this a few times. There are things I do and there's things I don't do. And I don't hang my head about it. I'm not ashamed of it. I do what I do because I love him. I do what I do because... You just had to be where I was when he found me to understand why I do what I do. You have to, you got to know where I came from. That's why I do what I do. You got to know the pit he pulled me out of. The reason I do what I do is out of love. There are daily disciplines that I practice in order to love him more. Not just put my time in so I can, you know, maybe one day walk on a street of gold and Touch a wall of jasper. Sit around a crystal river. But the truth is I'm not real concerned about getting over there. I want to know. I want to know him now. So that when I get there. We're not strangers. There's a relationship. There won't be. A, the, the Magruders used to sing a song. I'm just warming up. This is just dress rehearsal church. This is just warm-up session for that day when we get over there. But if we haven't done well here, will we hear him say, well done there? I can't be a stranger to a relationship with him. I've got to have a relationship. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Notice that my obedience to the word of God is not based on getting to heaven. Or staying out of hell. He just said if you love me. Keep this. If you love me. Keep this. If you love me. Keep this. So love drives me. To develop discipline. I could, sit a, I could sit inside of your homes. And I could monitor everything you do. And put a check mark. And I could. I, what, what good is that. If it ain't here. I could go home and say, you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't. I could give you a laundry list. But if it ain't here, there's no relationship. 
Paul said and wrote, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. When I read that, notice Paul is writing here in the past tense. Paul did not aimlessly drift through life undisciplined and make a decision at the last moment to offer his life. No, he made a decision every day. Number one, I'm going to be daily disciplined in my actions. I'm going to be obedient to the principles of Scripture. You see, a boxer doesn't win the fight on the night of the match. A true fighter wins the fight in months as he disciplines himself in daily training. Paul calls it striving for mastery. He doesn't just get in the ring and hope he lands a punch. He gets up every morning. He trains. He practices. He works out. He spars. And so much more. And when the fight comes, he is prepared to win. But if he's truly going to win, he will do it by never forsaking the fundamentals of Scripture. Paul calls it striving lawfully. Striving lawfully. In other words, I'm staying within the boundaries. I'm striving, but here's the playbook. I'm striving, but this is, this is, what I'm, this is what's leading and guiding me. This is what's taking me and leading me in a relationship of love. The great coach Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers. One of the greatest football teams in history was coached by him. However, they did have a bad season. Lombardi, in an effort to get things back on track, called all of these professional athletes into the locker room. His hand held something these men had seen every day for all all their years of playing professional sports and even going back to when they were were youngsters in, in primary or in elementary and high school and even college. He would gather them in that room and he would grab that pigskin that football, and he would remind them, gentlemen, this is a football. What he was trying to do is, let's get back to the basics. Sometimes we have to be reminded, this is a Bible. This is the Word of God. This is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Sometimes we need that reminder. In a world that's pulling at every thread of this sacred and holy book. It's good to be reminded. It's still the word of God. It's still the breathed word. Holy men wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. It cannot lie and will not lie. It's the word of God. I need to remind you. This is the altar. This is a place where you can come and find forgiveness of your sins. This is a baptismal tank where you can go down in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we just need to get back to the basics and just love God because it's the right thing to do. Somebody shout amen. Aren't you glad you can love God because it's the right thing to do? The third part, the best part of this whole message. If we can get this, we're going to make it. If we can get this, we're going to be a part of a great house and we're going to be a vessel of honor. Finally, Jesus declared, He that endures to the end 
the same shall be saved. Paul told Timothy, therefore, in your hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, half the battle to not quit is the decision to enter into the battle. Once you've determined to never give up, you have secured the most vital component in living a successful and joyful life in Christ. You have to make this conclusion. You've got to be delivered from the quits. It's easy today to just walk away. It's easy to walk away from the church. It's easy to walk away from a marriage. It's easy to walk away and abandon children. It's easy to walk away and abandon involvement. And the list could go on and on. But Paul told the church at Ephesus, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. When things don't go your way, stand. When your faith is tested, Stand. When your decisions are aligned with scriptures and others try to denounce you, stand. Even if you have to stand alone, just stand. Don't quit. Somebody say, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Turn to your neighbor and tell her, don't quit. There's a reason I'm telling you this. Because in a great house, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get distracted and life sets in and we see this going on on the left and this going on on the right. But the whole armor of God begins with putting on the helmet of salvation. You have to first and foremost protect your mind. You got to protect your thinking. If you can win the battle in your mind and stand upon the word of God, then you have truly won the battle. And let me say this, when you make up in your mind to live for God, there will be attacks on your mind. The enemy will try to get you distracted, even put thoughts in your head to quit. You can be praying, you can be fasting, you can be reading the word of God. And don't you think the devil don't have a target on your back? He's trying to get you off of your knees. He's trying to get you out of this church. So he'll put every thought he can into your thinking. But if you're going to be meat for the master's use, you've got to remove the quit option. I ain't going nowhere, devil. This is where I belong. This is my church. This is where I'm going to raise my children. This is where God saved me. This is where God put me. I'm removing the quit. No, sir. Devil, you done messed with the wrong individual. I've done come this far. This is where I belong. I'm staying in the fight. I'm removing the quit option. When you remove the quit option, you know what you're doing? I'm being put in the hands of the man who can use me. Who likes to use a quitter? You're the employer. You like to hire a quitter? You like to work with a bunch? I, what if I showed up, Brother Sparks, to my, oh, I like a job, but I'm probably going to quit by Friday. You better go on down the road and find you another job. God don't want to employ a bunch of quitters. 
But what he, what, what he does want us to do uh, is to purge ourselves uh, from that old quitting spirit, that old quitting option that wants to rise up every time. Mm, every time I, it seems like every time I get going, no enemy comes in. And you just need to let the devil know tonight on this Wednesday night, I ain't quitting, devil. I'm a part of a great house. I'm a part of a great thing. You're not going to rob me of my, of my victory, of my joy. You're not going to take my children. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Yes. I'm coming to a quick close. And I hope I've said something to challenge you tonight. We have a great house here at the sanctuary. Can I get an amen from some of you? I didn't say we had a perfect house. But I will tell you, we are a house of gold. We are a house of silver. We are a house of wood. And we are a house of earth. We have vessels of honor and dishonor. But it's a great house. I would rather be in a great house than no house. I would be in a... I didn't call it a great house. The Bible calls it a great house. And as long as God is calling a place like we are a part of, a great house, you can count on me, Pastor. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there in that great God, wherever you need me, I'm ready. I'm available. Why? Because this is a great house. It's a great house. But you and I choose to move and evaluate ourselves. And if I were to ask you, what are you doing? If you had to evaluate your relationship with God, how would you evaluate it? How would you, not anybody else, how would you self-judge yourself as a part of the great house? Are you a vessel of gold, silver, wood, and earth? You're a vessel of honor or dishonor. My desire is to see the kingdom of God move forward, not stagnate in a pool of doubt, fear, and unbelief. There's too much of that going on outside these four walls. But what I have tried for the last almost 13 years is with the help of God and with the help of a bunch of people in this room is to create something special that when a Jeff Tillman walks in broken, Giving up on life. Feeling worthless. This is a great house. I don't belong. Oh yeah, you do belong. If anybody belongs, you belong. When there's a Ricky Malin driving all the way from Coleman, Alabama. Been running the roads trying to provide for his family. He walks in on a Wednesday night and I know. I belong here. Oh yeah, Ricky. You and Christy belong here. This is a great house. When those that will walk in here feeling destitute, failures plaguing their minds, and, and so many things that they feel so worthless to belong, and they walk in the sanctuary, and they see those of us that God's blessed. God's been so good to us. and Oh, he's got a tie on. He's got a shirt, man. He, well, that pastor's got it going on, and they see other people, and they drive in a parking lot, and they see the cars you drive, and they see what you get out of, and how you walk in, and 
Well, they got it all together. <laughs> and some people just walk in and they're just dragging in. <laughs> but when they walk into a great house, a great house has mercy. A great house has compassion. A great house has forgiveness. A great house is not judgmental. A great house is not filled with self-righteousness and Phariseeism. But a great house will say, come as you are. Come on in here, bring your birds. you got a seat at my table. Come on in here, this is a great house. We've been preparing a seat for you. We've been making room for you. This is your homecoming. Come on in. We cannot graduate to the point that we forget such were some of us. Such were some of us. We were misfits. We were lost. We were undone. We were unworthy to sit, or so we thought, in a great house. But when God found us, when God got a hold of us, he placed us in a great house. And he said, if there's hope for him, there's hope for you. If there's hope for her, there's hope for you. But it, we cannot, church, we cannot forget where we have come from. I know we got a $5 million building here. But if this thing burned down today, it would not define who we are as the church. Because who we are, the culture of who we are, Brother Sparks, is bigger than this building. The culture of who we are, Brother Jones, is bigger than this building. We're the church outside of the church. We're a part of the great house, whether I'm at 1149 Main Street or if I'm at 408 Warren Road. Wherever I am, I'm the great house. I'm the great house. I've got this treasure hidden in an earthen vessel. And if it's hidden in an earthen vessel, God's working on me. Maybe you're not maturing or, or so you think you're not maturing as fast as you think you ought to. This message is to encourage you. If you'll start preparing yourself. If you'll start asking God, God show me what I need to do. Show me in scripture what I need to do. Show me how to do it. I, I, I know I've know I got to strip away the unnecessary. I know I've got to overcome my hindrances. I know I've got to focus on the inner. I've got to get a relationship with you got to know these rules and I've got to I've got to do it because I love you and I've just got to say you know what righteous man falleth seven times and gets up again if you walk out of here tomorrow and you you fall you get back up again there's no quit in you there's no quit option in you you're getting back up there's hope tomorrow there's mercy fresh awaiting on you tomorrow you just got to remember, you're a part of a great house. And if you're not here, you're missing. Brother Terry, when you're not here, you're missed. Brother Hopkins, when you're not here, you're missed. Why? Because we make up a great house. Why don't we want you to be at church every time the doors are open? Because it's a great house. A couple arrived at the hospital. Preparing for the arrival of their firstborn son. They arrived at the hospital with all the anxiety that comes from being a new parent. They checked in and went to the labor suite and prepared for the coming 
of their firstborn. You see, months before the new arrival, they had taken all of the classes that teach you how to breathe, teach you how to push, teach you how to do all those things that, you know, when you get in the heat of the moment, none of that stuff really matters. Come on, can I get a witness, ladies? But anyway, most importantly, they made some decisions ahead of time about how they would approach the moment and the use of epidurals. They got into the labor room. And since they had already made up their mind about using the epidural, they administered the epidural, and that soon-to-be mother drifted off to sleep. A few hours later, it was time to do the real hard stuff. The doctor reached over to the pole that was hanging, where from which was hanging the epidural medicine and hanging from it, and did the most unthinkable thing. He turned off the epidural. The wife who at the time had fallen in love with the man who had just gave her the epidural gave out a gentle but yet firm question. Why did you just do that? And the doctor replied, Brother Weaver, ma'am, you can be comfortable or you can give birth, but you can't do both. Folks, the last 48 hours I've been in travail. Woke up every morning at 3 a.m. fighting demons from hell over this great house. At about 3 a.m. this morning, something shifted. My wife told me this afternoon. She felt something. We can live at ease in Zion. We can get content with just being a great house. Happy to have a safe place to come, sit, hear good singing, hear good preaching. Happy to know we're hearing the truth. Happy to be parked at the door of salvation. Happy to know. Happy to know I could do a whole lot but never answer the call. Happy to be talented, but yet never yield our will to the master. Or we can set out on what might prove to be a tough and painful adventure of really knowing God. It's a choice, but you can't be content and pursue a relationship with God. It's a choice that we all must make. You can't be content and pursue a love relationship with God. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, I want us to be meat for the master's use. I don't want to hear what I hear each week and not respond to God's call for a relationship. I don't want to walk in and see my brothers and my sisters and see the potential just sitting on a pew and just waiting and wondering and praying. Will they ever, will they ever step up to the plate and be what God called them to be? Will they ever understand they've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? 
I don't want to hear what I hear each week and not respond to the call of God. He's standing on heaven's balcony as I felt it this morning. Longing for a people to love Him because they want to. Not because they have to, but something on the inside of them gets stirred up and something gets moved. And I'm not, I'm not satisfied with complacency. I'm not satisfied with a contentment that would cause me to just, I'm in a great house. But how many more are waiting on your testimony? How many more are waiting for you to step out of your comfort zone and say, if you can use me, God, I'll use you. I want to be meat in the hands of the master. I want to be meat in the hands of the master. And the Bible says in that text, and I'm closing, you can stand all over this place and you can begin to respond to this. I think we need to make a response to the front in some shape, form, or fashion. The Bible says when we purge ourselves, when we say to ourselves, I'm disciplining myself beyond the flesh. Beyond what I want to do. Beyond what I want to do. When I discipline myself, when I purge myself, I become meat in the master's hands. And I get prepared for every good work. I can be comfortable or I can give birth. I can be comfortable. Or I can give birth, but it's up to me. I can be a vessel of honor or dishonor. It's up to me. It's what I choose to do. It's what I choose to do. I can't look at her. I can't look at him. I can't look at them. I can't be, I, I can't get distracted by what you're doing, Brother Jeff. I can't. I've got my mind fixed. I've got my heart fixed. I've got, I've got to stay committed. I've got to keep moving forward. I cannot lose my relationship. I cannot lose my relationship with God. The Bible says, who, not what, who doth hinder you? I've got to lay it at the altar tonight. I've got to, I've got to put it at the feet of the, of the cross. And I've got to say, Lord, if there's a home Bible study, God, I'm ready to teach a home Bible study. I've never taught a home Bible study. That's, God's talking to some of you right now. Lord, I've got to teach a home Bible study to somebody. Brother Jones, I don't thank you enough for what you do every week. You know, this 80, almost now 81-year-old man Every Saturday. Not every other Saturday. Not once a month. But every Saturday. Gets in a van. And Mike. He hits those neighborhoods. He hits those areas. Are you coming to church in the morning? I'm going to be there to pick you up. I'll be here in the morning. On outreach every Saturday. 81 years old. Driving a church van. Mike, do you know you wouldn't be in church if it wasn't for that man tonight? He picked up your boy every Sunday. He, and he didn't pick him up in vain because you're in the house of God tonight. And Mike's back in class tonight. 
But how many more, how many more, Brother Joneses is out there? How many more are out there that are just waiting on a family, waiting on a young man, waiting on a young lady, waiting on a teenager? If the average disciple was 16 years old, If the average disciple was 16 and they turned the world upside down, who are we? God's just waiting on somebody to say, Use me, God. I'm meat for the master's use. I'm preparing myself for every good work. God's calling us as individuals, as families. To prepare ourselves for what's next. Prepare ourselves for what's next. It would have been so easy, babe, last night. It was pouring down rain when we left. We drove 47 minutes to Madison, Miss Madison, Alabama. I don't know why I said Mississippi. 47 minutes and pouring down rain. Put a Bible study chart out. <laughs> Put it there. Lesson number three. And talk about Cain and Abel. And talk about the Tower of Babel. And talk about the confusion of the languages. And just talk about the Word. And watch two individuals with their precious baby. Just soak it up as though it was the first time they'd ever heard the story. When I left there and I got home, I said, God, let the seed fall on good ground. I said, the, the seed, you cast your bad bread on the water, it's not going to come back again in day, because the word still works. Say, God, if you'll help me, I'll teach as many Bible studies as you'll open the door and I'll pursue them to get them. Because I'm determined to see this great house filled. I'm determined to see this great house filled one at a time if it has to be. Some of you right now, some of you right now teaching Bible studies, teaching Bible studies in your home. There are Bible studies going. There, there are Bible studies. I know I know our uh, Brother Zach and Sister Madison are teaching some of the youth right now. Bible study. Listen to teach other Bible studies. Oh, we've got right now three to be baptized Sunday in Jesus' name. Already, before we ever show up to the great house, three already is scheduled to be baptized. But how much more? How fast could it be expedited? If we just understand and do our own self-evaluation. And say, God, I'm a part of this great house, Brother Dallas. I'm a part of it. But I just don't want to be a part of it. I want to get in his hands. And I want him to use me. I want him to use me. In any way he can. I can't sing. I can't play. I can't do that. But what can you do? What can you do? I don't want. I promise you. It's flowing but I'm closing. I don't want to be like the man. 
that underestimated the power and value of his talent. But God, I only got one. He minimized what God had given him. He went into the backyard with shovel in hand and he digged and he buried his talent. When the master come to collect usury or interest on what was given, all he could say, I knew you were a hard master. I knew you were hard and all I had was one and so I didn't lose the one. I went and buried it. He called him a wicked servant. He took what was his and gave it to somebody else. I don't want God to take what's supposed to be mine and give it to somebody else. I don't want God to take what's the, I'm supposed to be. I only got one. But with the help of God, I'm going to use it, Brother Jones, for the kingdom of God. I can't do much. But what I can do in the great house is be a vessel he can use. Would you just lift your hands all over this house? God, 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 I feel so deep and strong in this room right now. All over this place, there's couples getting ready to be used by God. There's individuals getting ready to be used by God. There's families. Your homes, the atmosphere of your homes about to change and shift. I know we're busy. I know we're burning the candle at both ends. I know, I know, I feel the race toward eternity. But if you knew you could reach one soul, how hard would you work? How hard would you try? Oh, what would you do? Would you wake up earlier and pray just a few minutes extra? Would you spend a little more time in the Word? Would you call and text? And would you promote what the great house has to offer? Oh, I don't normally preach. I, I feel it so strong. We're racing eternity, church. If gas prices can do what they just did in the last two weeks in a war that is, it doesn't look like an end in sight, Brother Weaver, when, when a cruel and wicked leader would bomb today the maternity ward in hospital for newborn babies in the Ukraine. How close are we? How close are we? I don't know. But all I know is that the clock is ticking. It's clicking. It's ticking. Can you see the clock from where you stand today? Can you tell the hour by the pointing of the hand? I don't know when he's coming. I don't know what. But all I know is God woke me up this morning and said, this great house will do great things when people awaken and recognize the moment when they self-evaluate who they are and what's been put in that earthen vessel and they put themselves in the hands of God to be used by Him. We're going to have prayer meeting in this house tomorrow night. It's 7 o'clock. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to bless. And we're going to ask God to fill this temple with His Spirit and with His power. We've got ladies going to ladies' conference this weekend. Ladies, I'm praying when you get to ladies' conference, there's going to be an encouragement. There's going to be something that's going to, it's going to be a residual flow from this night into your conference. And when we gather in this great house on Sunday, 
There's no telling what's going to happen. There's no telling what's going to take place. Father, seal the word in our heart. Seal the word in our heart, oh God. Mm. I'm inviting every one of you tomorrow night. I said, I'm inviting every one of you to be in this place for prayer tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. There's going to be something shifting in the supernatural realm of God. We're going to feel it in the days and the weeks to come. God, I thank you for it. Our ushers are going to come and we're going to receive and worship you. We're going to worship you in our tithe and offerings. God, I'm leaving this house challenged. I'm leaving this house changed. I'm leaving this house with an attitude. I'm preparing myself. For what you're going to do next. I'm preparing.